This is Jake Lefebvre. Welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. I'm sitting down with Brett Landry. Brett and I had an opportunity a little while back to sit down with Dan McDonald of Grace Toronto and talk a bit about what he's doing in Toronto uh, and the work that he's hoping to be a part of uh, going forward there. Uh, Brett, want to, before we play that interview, ask you uh, what stood out from that interview uh, for you? Uh, what can our people expect? Yeah, I think as you listen to this conversation, uh, you're going to hear a lot from Dan. We have a lot to learn from him. He's certainly done some really good thinking on how to reach the people that he is living among. And uh, he's talking about people in the downtown core of of Toronto. They've got a wonderful church building that they were uh, able to buy. It's a church plant uh, that's been there for a number of years now, came out of and in partnership with uh, Tim Keller's church, Redeemer, in Manhattan. And so part of that network of churches. And so Dan is a really great thinker. And uh, I think he has a lot to say. He's also lived in Vancouver and Toronto. And so we do get into the differences between the two cities and how we might be able to contextualize the gospel in our settings. Fantastic. Well, we trust that you'll be blessed as you listen. And so enjoy. Welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Brett Landry. I am here with Jake Lefebvre, and we have on the line Dan McDonald, senior pastor of Grace Toronto. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, we're very thankful you take some time uh, and and just join us, uh, that we might learn from you and have a good conversation around the things that you're giving yourself to in Toronto. And uh, specifically, we'll get into some things, uh, maybe differences between Vancouver and Toronto and ways that we are seeking to faithfully live out the gospel in our different contexts. But before we do that, Dan, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um. Yeah, I, I I like doing this about as much as I like uh, getting uh, root canals. So, <laughs> uh, born in Montreal, um, moved to Ontario for uh, law school, became a Christian in law school, went into ministry in the early 90s, was in campus ministry uh, with power to change various jobs for about a decade, and then felt called into pastoral ministry in the early 2000s. So I went to seminary um, in Florida, RTS Orlando, and then um, after an internship um, with a great church in Jacksonville, Florida, came up here with their um, prayers and support to help replant Grace Toronto, which is uh, uh, kind of a um, Redeemer New York uh, church plant uh, in downtown Toronto, which had fallen on hard times, and so we replanted it in 05, and uh, yeah, we've kind of gone from there. So you planted the church, or replanted the church in 2005. You've been there ever since uh, as a senior pastor? Yes, I have. Okay, and and you guys now, you're spread out a little bit in the city. Uh, you've done some planting in the last few years. Yeah, we have a—we we planted a, a failed church plant that turned into a, a kind of a hybrid site uh, on the west side around 2014, and then in 2017 we planted— a daughter church on the east side. So we now have expressions on the west side, downtown, and on the east side of, of the city. We're looking at a couple more church plants in the next uh, two to five years as well, a little farther north. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are right down by the university downtown, I think, are you? We're, um, yeah, we're very close to both the University of Toronto. Um, we're about an eight-minute streetcar ride, and then we're right across the street from one of the residences of Ryerson. We're about a four-minute walk from Ryerson University in the heart of the city. Hey, Dan, do you mind just speaking really quickly to how all those churches relate to one another uh, in terms of like an overarching model or, or unity that they share? Well, we have—we um, really had no 
uh, precedence for our failed church plan turn into a site. Um, we don't really, um, we didn't really have a site model, uh, even thought out or expressed. We had to reverse engineer uh, a situation where it just didn't work out with the church planner, but we had a core group and we had services going. And so we put in a number of people there to kind of keep it going. And one of them in particular really connected with the community. And so that site model is not like too many site uh, models that I've seen because he does, uh, Kiernan does probably three quarters of the preaching there. He's kind of known as the preacher and the shepherd. Uh, We give them, we resource them uh, with training uh, we resource their kids' ministry. We resource their small group ministry. We do all the training and a lot of the discipleship uh, in tandem with them. So we share what I'd call a lot of the logistical training and um, ministry resources. But on Sunday morning, it feels fairly much like its own particular church, and, and we're okay with that. We wanted them to um, contextualize their expression of the gospel to that part of the city, which has really does have its own neighborhood feel, flavor, and uh, cultural vibe that's different from downtown. And so it was important that that site not be a cookie-cutter site. So right. uh, it, it, it on Sunday morning, it looks and feels like its own church that just happens to have our name. Uh, but if you go underneath with the values and the way it's run, uh, we obviously share uh, much. Our church plant is the uh, a much more of a standard church plant. My associate pastor went out and planted uh, um, Christ Church Toronto, and um, he took a good core group of our people. And so it would share values and DNA with us, but it has its own name, structure, leadership, et cetera. And he's doing a great job of contextualizing to his neighborhood. That would be Kyle, Kyle Hackman, yeah. So we uh, we we don't have a very typical uh, strategy. We mostly want to plant plants, uh, not sites. But um, we're finding I don't know how you guys are, are, but we're finding it's much more difficult to find a church planter and someone with the the skills to plant a fully independent church plant. We're finding that a more difficult task than we had originally hoped. So we're looking a little more strongly at this hybrid model we've accidentally fallen into creating mm-hmm. as a potential other way of planting expressions in the city where people might have good gifts of preaching and shepherding, but some of the leadership and vision casting gifts that are normally um, regnant within a church planter don't happen to exist inside someone. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually, that's fairly similar to what we're doing in terms of neighborhood churches in Vancouver. Um, We planted six years ago the first one, and then two and a bit years ago we planted a second one, very much what you're talking about with your site, where uh, Fred Eaton gives leadership to that neighborhood church. Uh, Fred is a shepherd and preacher-teacher in his giftings and and not the uh, vision-casting, church-planting kind of leader that we would typically have in in our sites for uh, church planters. And so we kind of came alongside him. So we share resources with kids ministry. We share resources with youth ministry. We share resources with administration structures and all of, like you said, the logistics that give the underpinning to it. And so it's Christ City Church, Kitsilano, and uh, they are their own expression on a Sunday morning in their own church, but we do share a lot. And then we work really collaboratively together uh, between yeah. the two churches. And then and then we're sending Jake out uh, in uh, September 15th, 2019. They're going to be launching on Sunday mornings in the different neighborhood, which has been a bit more of a traditional church plant in that sense, where 
Uh, Jake's been on our team for a while, and uh, we kind of, you know, saw him heading this direction a number of years ago and kind of geared things that way. And so now he's taking a team of people, and they're going to go start Christ City East Vancouver, uh, you know, in a different venue, in a different neighborhood. And yet we're still sharing all of those resources and structures, uh, though he's a little bit more prototypically church planter. Wow. Yeah. Well, we should have just talked to you earlier, Brett. That's pretty clear. <laughs> well, and and so we're we're in this <laughs> we're in the conversation now uh, with you. Uh, I heard you preach on this. I wanted to be able to have a longer conversation about it with you. You did draw out some of the major differences between Vancouver and Toronto as you saw them uh, in as different contexts in in two of the the largest leading Canadian cities. Uh, you know, Vancouver is obviously a, a, a better, greater city in general than Toronto, and so I think we can all agree on that. Amen. And that's and that's good. Mm-hmm. Jake from Toronto can agree with that, and I know you, having spent time in Vancouver, you would agree that it's better than Toronto, right? Oh, oh, I think we lost Dan. That's okay. Is there a question coming out of this anytime? <laughs> so that's that Toronto straightforwardness. You know, there's no beating around the bush. Oh, that's here. right. That's right. No, money we, is time, and time is money. So. You lived in Vancouver, Dan. Tell us a little bit about your yeah. time here. I really did love my time in Vancouver. Um, terrific uh, city. Uh, lots going on. The, the physical beauty is amazing. The people are great. Um, if, if you want a nice life um, uh, and work balance, I don't know if there's a better city in the world. If you want to change Canada, you've got to come to Toronto and suck it up. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Well, we're very thankful you're there. Yeah. You know, we're very, we're very thankful you're there. You, um, you highlighted some of the differences of, between the people that you met. And I, I, I think that though, though it'd be a number of years ago, those, those general observations were still very true about what you articulated about Toronto uh, mm-hmm. versus Vancouver and the, and the population base, the conversations, the different values that are the underpinnings of the culture of our city. Maybe just explain those to us. Yeah. I, uh, I, I tell people that I'm training that part of contextualization is asking three questions. What do you believe? How intensely do you believe it? And how did you come to believe it? And when I ask those three questions uh, in Toronto and Vancouver, uh, I do get different answers. So when, I, when, I, when I'm in Vancouver, what do you believe? Uh, the answers tend to be much more individualistic, uh, open to certain kinds of spirituality, uh, this is what I believe. Um, it's pretty self-constructed, and I'm happy to be okay with people who believe different things. And how that shook out for me in terms of evangelism and mission when I was in Vancouver was people would be very happy that I was a Christian and that I found love and joy in, in Jesus. Uh, and they were um, they would even celebrate it. They just wanted me to celebrate that they weren't. And when I would try and tell them that uh, they needed to come over, that's when we would have the tension point that you actually know you need to come to Jesus. He's the only way to God. And he, this is the only expression of God that is true. Um, but there was a little more happy live and let live spiritual and open to spirituality kind of vibe when I was in Vancouver in the early uh, 2000s. When I got to Toronto in, in 2005 and 06, I found a very different thing people believed uh in secularism they they um i i what i call the big brother syndrome is uh toronto was looking to europe particularly amsterdam and london and looking for a secular post-religious future 
uh, as the way forward for them. And so they would believe that there really wasn't a God, and they would believe it more intensely uh, than Vancouverites. So what do you believe? There is no God. How intensely do you believe it in Vancouver? They didn't hold too much too intensely. They had a very live and let live vibe. Right. In Toronto, they would be pretty intensely against right. my my Christianity and, and particularly some of the ethical implications when it came to certain things we believe about sexual ethics. And so what I, what I found was Toronto, they, um, in Vancouver, you live for Friday afternoon, right about, right about lunchtime, you get to go play and the city empties. In, in Toronto, you kind of live for Monday morning and it's kind of weird this way, but we really can't do anything on Sunday nights because everyone by Sunday after dinner is gearing up for Monday and they're, they're in their seats in the office by seven, seven thirty, And so it's just, it's a vastly different place, Toronto, not only in its relationship to work, but in its relationship to spirituality, hmm. that uh, it was more aggressively secular, more aggressively hostile to Christianity than, than Vancouver was. Yeah, I think you're bang on, Dan, in terms of the Vancouver, uh, you know, it's not a caricature, but uh, the Vancouver ideas that you're presenting. And it's, um, it's, it's standard, it's a broad brush kind of thing, but we, we definitely are one of the centers of spiritual but not religious, um, and, and I think people want to be tolerant, and so there's, uh, you know, between, between where we worship on Sundays and where I live is about two and a half kilometers uh, right now, and, you know, that's not very far to go, but, you know, I can pass a, a Buddhist temple, a Sikh temple, uh, a... It's a Unitarian kind of thing, and then there's also a place that I don't even know what they believe, but they believe in everything, which I think means you believe in nothing. And then there's a mosque and uh, and a one synagogue, one temple. I think one is Orthodox Judaism, and one is sort of liberal, uh, a liberal persuasion of that, very much cultural. And that's all happening within the same couple, you know, couple of large city blocks, if you think about it that way. And would you say that? Um, there's hostility between those different faith groups in Toronto more so, or, or how does that relationship look? The the, the intriguing thing that I'm finding now is uh, uh, this sort of self-consciously anti-spiritual secularism in Toronto has made more, the faith groups a little more sympathetic toward one another Mm. than I found in in Vancouver. In Vancouver, it felt like spirituality was fine, and so you were all competing to be the best spirituality out there. In Toronto, it's like all the spiritualities are against the Borg, which is this kind of giant, secular, progressive uh, cultural force. Because Toronto um, self-consciously sees itself, I think, as the cultural capital of Canada, uh, paying attention to the dominant cultural narrative, aligning with it, celebrating it, and reinforcing it is much, much more visceral and powerful here. Hmm. I find, I found when I was in Vancouver, I generally knew the cultural narrative of Canada, even of Vancouver, but Vancouver didn't really make you toe the line. You could be a cultural anomaly. You could just kind of do your own thing. And doing your own thing was kind of okay. So being a Christian and doing your own thing was kind of okay. In Toronto, being culturally sophisticated and on uh, point is, uh, or on message is really important. You, um, you have, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, I have people who, uh, I did a small group this year of people 
who were working in the downtown core, and there were 12 of them. And I asked, how many of you would have significant career repercussions if you outed yourselves as evangelical Christians? And five of the 12, uh, six of the 12 put their hands up. I said, how many of you would get fired? Three put their hands up and one wasn't sure. Wow. That's just a, there's a there's a level of self-conscious hostility that I, I that was frankly quite surprising to me compared to uh, compared to Vancouver. I thought Vancouver was, you know, much more pagan or whatever we used to say. Yeah. Uh, but Toronto is much more hostile. Hmm. Dan, if I can take another uh, run out in terms of distinguishing the two cities in terms of spiritual climate. I remember growing up taking the go bus, uh, you know, from the suburbs downtown and kind of going down the DVP and seeing the CN Tower and just kind of being overwhelmed by the sheer enormity of Toronto. It's just, it's just a physically big place, uh, like both in landmass, but also in terms of like people who are crammed in there. Uh, how does like even just population size and Vancouver being, you know, generously a million people uh, in Toronto being, I don't know how many now, like six, seven. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the GTA is, but Toronto yeah. yeah, I think it's four seven, but right. it's big. Right, and and so how does even thinking, you know, we're thinking about reaching a city with the gospel, like how does even this the difference in size and the amount of people there, how does that change uh, the way you think, or, or does it? Is it just sort of the same? Um, well, one of the things, to be honest, is you put that language to bed. Um, uh, that The language of reaching a whole city when a whole city is four or five yeah. million people yeah. just starts to sound incredibly presumptuous. Right. And so um, we, we, we have lot, we, we have high vision for trying to reach as many people in the city as we can, but uh, you've got to be, I mean, I talked, I remember talking um, to a bunch of people at Redeemer um, and Tim Keller was leading the discussion and, and uh, he, I think said at first that we're never going to reach New York. We're not even going to come close. We're going to open our hands and work with, as many other people as we can okay. who want to renew the city spiritually, socially, and to the gospel. And I felt like that was, um, that sounded really good. And then I got to Toronto and I went, that's not just good sounding. That's absolutely necessary. Mm. So yeah, we, we just don't, we don't talk about reaching the city in the same way. But having said that, what we have thought about is uh, there are certain neighborhoods which are much more highly uh, influential in leveraging the the overall intellectual and ethical culture of the city, mm-hmm. and so those neighborhoods uh, we uh, we have decided to try and target for church plants. So when we planted uh, that first one in the west side, the west side uh, is uh, of Toronto is kind of where the people who operate CBC live where the people who operate the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, that's, that's kind of their neighborhood. And so the, the real cultural elites who have the money to stay in the city um, and live there and, and really have culture-shaping kind of cachet, uh, we would like to try and reach them, the profs from the University of Toronto. So we, we, we think, you know, we'll, we'll take a stab at it. We're not going to say we're going to change the city god will have to certainly do a miracle yeah but uh, it does inform where our first church plant was and where our second church plant was uh, and we were going to reach the downtown we're going to plant in the downtown in the very strategic west side and then 
because the west side had gotten so expensive, all those cultural influences are now moving to the east side where the young families are moving. And so we felt like these three in the heart of the city would be where we plant because this is where a good chunk of the people who have the most powerful voices in the city and the culture uh, actually reside. It's, we share so much in common, I think, with the way that we would view the city, uh, you know, with you know, Jake sitting across the table from me right now asking that question, but heading to a particular neighborhood in this city, a particular part of this city, with the recognition that when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. And and that means you need to be very intentional about what you say yes to. And I think for him and the team that are going and for us who are sending, there's a real intentional yes to that part of the city right now. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that there's a uh, a neglecting of anything else in the city. It just means this is what we feel called to do in this moment of time. And, and Lord willing, he's calling other people <laughs> uh, to do other things in the city. And yeah, we want to link arms across the board with those folks uh, who are seeking to serve and love uh, the church in Vancouver and to motivate and equip the church for mission in Vancouver. And I think for us, you know, we look at, at Vancouver proper, it's 23 neighborhoods plus University of British Columbia uh, it's then Metro Vancouver, I, I think, and I'd have to look, I think it's a, about 70 different neighborhoods within Metro Vancouver. And if you look at that, you've got to look uh, to that local component of it, where you know how to contextualize to that local component and to love and serve in that place. And I, I mean, Jake has done lots of thinking about this in the last couple of years, just as they prepared to plant. But um, you know, I, it's so necessary because people here are so vastly different, even from pocket to pocket within the city Debbie. oh my gosh yes sorry yeah no i mean I'm, I'm just thinking last time i was in vancouver and i was hanging out in yale town and i'm like right this is a this is not the yale town i left and b you know this the amount of probably cultural influencers per square mile or, or per square or whatever city block in yale town you know would be very different from port coquitlam or something so neighborhoods yeah, they differ vastly in Vancouver, just like Toronto. And Dan, if I can just camp out on that for a second, you talked about you know reaching uh, people of, of influence, uh, cultural influencers. Uh, how does a church, with that sort of aim and that sort of reach, how does a church respond to accusations uh, that therefore you don't care about poor people? Or you don't care about people on the margins or people who perhaps are, are just sort of grinding their way, you know, nine to five in some, whatever the job would be. How do you engage with that question uh, as it comes up? <laughs> you asking the question let, let, uh, leads me to believe you have, may have had that question asked. I, I, I'm asking generally. <laughs> yeah. and, no one and, would and ever say that any to sort us, of, yeah, any, no any one, sort of agenda here. I mean, you're the one that yeah. would be accused of that, not us. We would never of ever have that no. happen. No. no, of course not. Um, yeah, you get that. I get that fairly regularly. Um, and so my snarky answer, if I'm, if I'm tired, is, so you you prefer a church for the poor? Why don't you love rich people? Right. And and the awkward silence makes them realize there's a, there's an ill logic to the question because anytime you choose to reach some, yes, you're not trying to reach all, and you're you are open to the charge that you don't love everybody. I think there's a particular uh, there are two things that have gone on in in Christian circles. One, one of which is an old pietism, which says the, the poor are more spiritual 
than the rich, uh, partly probably because Jesus and Luke says, blessed are the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the poor generally uh, acknowledge God m- much more easily and openly than the rich. The rich are blinded by Satan and their own affluence is what he uses. So I get that. But uh, when Jonah was sent to the great city of Nineveh, the, the powerful, influential, cultural, imperial center of the empire that was oppressing and brutalizing Israel, uh, the Lord's compassion on that great city where they didn't know the left from the right tells us that the Lord loves all people. And I don't mind um, that, that people love the poor, but I do mind that nobody loves the rich or cares for the influencers. I think we we have that old school view sometimes and it was, it's been around a long time. There's a second reason why I think uh, evangelicals sometimes don't like targeting the rich. And I think it's the modern social justice uh, frustration with uh, some of the privilege of the rich, which uh, really runs quite into the, the, the first one. They, they arise from different sources, but they end in the same place, which is your, um, they just aren't worth it. And my problem is, is that Jesus felt Zacchaeus was worth it, etc. When Paul decided on his missionary journeys that he wanted to fulfill the Great Commission and reach the world, he went to the largest, most developed, and wealthiest cities and targeted them first. So I think when I look at the Book of Acts, etc., I see no disconnect between our church trying to reach those people as our role in the overall body of Christ. Um, I don't really have a problem with it. If everyone was doing it, I might have a problem with it. I don't really know. There might be two or three churches uh, that are trying to do what we're trying to do in Toronto. I imagine you probably have the same. It's a half dozen or something like that in your city. So, um, I, I just tell people, you know, I used to be a lawyer. I get, I get how lawyers think. I get how MBAs think. Um, my wife was in marketing and has a business degree. It's just uh, kind of how we are made. It's kind of who we're, we feel called to reach. And we're okay that not everyone does, but we're not going to apologize for it either. Yeah. I think sometimes, Dan, it comes down to these things, too, in the heart of the person asking the question where, you know, there's people who who have a disdain for the rich, um, partly out of envy, and I think they they look at the, the the wealth or materialistic gain that somebody might have in this life, and and maybe they don't think too well of the future that we are, are promised in Christ, and and maybe they'd rather have some of those things, and so it, it becomes easy to ignore because those people maybe have everything you already want, and I think there's definitely a struggle in Vancouver with that. We see things like that all the time. It's it's uh, and it's it's students who come here from different parts of the world and they come here to learn English for six months. But while they're here, they they lease an exotic car and and somebody has a problem with that. Or you you know you have these different things. But when you sit down and have a conversation with a billionaire, or you sit down and have a conversation with the uh, person living month to month, like most of us in the city, you know what the heart behind a lot of the problems in their life are, are very much the same. Uh, it, it, it's you know I'm not connecting with my kids right now, or my wife and I aren't getting along, or I'm very lonely and and I'm struggling uh, with my work because it actually takes up so much of my life that I'm not developing other areas or all the questions are actually very similar. And, and it comes, it comes down to the questions that are being asked. Yeah. And I think it also, you know, 
I think at the end of the day, um, the question is, who are the unreached people yes. um, in, in any particular culture? And in our culture, uh, at least in Toronto, one of the most unreached people groups were um, highly educated professionals living and working in the heart of the city because there were no churches down there. They'd all, mm. they'd all fled to the suburbs. We were one of the first replants of, uh, of a small little and encouraging little movement of church plants that started happening around 2004. Um, we were in 05, I think we were the second church plant in, in kind of a downtown core, and there have been four or five others since, and that's kind of encouraging to us. So, um, But they're very unreached, and so I feel like, uh, bless you if you're called to reach uh, the poor, uh, bless you if you're called to reach uh, people in um, the vast suburbs of our city. Uh, we just feel called to reach people living in the condos and the apartment buildings and um, living in the wealthier, semi-detached, million-dollar, you know, um, artistic enclaves of cultural influence. And we're just okay with that. Dan, this is uh, it's so helpful. It's good for us to be able to sit down and talk about this as pastors and church planters and, and people. You know, we've done a fair amount of thinking about these things. How are you translating that then into the life of the congregation uh, as you you know practically equip people to think well about their faith and their work and their influence and stewarding that influence in the name of Jesus and, and stewarding that influence for God's glory? Yeah. yeah, how do you do that? Yeah. So there... Uh, uh, I'll say two things that, that have sort of struck us as we've exegeted our, our own congregation and discipleship. Uh, one is um, there is a biblical and theological literacy gap that surprised me when I got here. People are coming out of churches that haven't given them the biblical and theological training that I had sort of expected, for better or worse. And so we've had to make a pivot to um, much more robust theological and biblical literacy training um, and not just practical ministry training, et cetera. So the, the, the first great pivot, the second great pivot we had to do was to recognize that in Toronto, people's average work week exceeds 60 to 65 hours. And so any discipleship strategy must, must, must absolutely entail talking about how to live your faith out in the midst of your work. Right. And so our discipleship is, um, is deeply imbued with faith and work discipleship, uh, teaching and training, et cetera. We're still developing it. But those are the two major pivots that we've had to do. I think the third one, there's probably a third pivot that we're just grasping, and that is, the life cycle of the average downtown Grace Toronto person is probably about five years or six years. It's a little different in our expressions in the West and the and the East because they're they are more permanent. Uh, those neighborhoods tend to have more permanency, but the downtown is a revolving door. And so the the third pivot we're now doing is we really need to speed up and intensify our discipleship process because we have these people for four or five years and then we're releasing them to, you know, Vancouver or wherever else. And we really want them to be mature enough to go bless the context that they're called to go to for a longer period of time. Dan, do you want to speak just a little bit more about the speeding up that discipleship process? Cause I, when I hear you uh, talk about that, I think of Kitsilano 
Uh, and I think of, you know, the transients of that neighborhood in Vancouver as a as a fun place, a cool place, but because of, you know, the cost of rent and a number of other things, is not a place of yeah. great, great permanence. Uh, can you just talk a bit more about, like, the details of speeding up that discipleship process? I mean, because you have X amount of hours in a week, so are, are you, you know, front-loading a bunch of conversations with these people? What do you mean by that? Well, what, what we're trying to figure out, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what we did last year and then um, what we hope to do in the future so last year, we had mm, about 550 people in the downtown, adults in the downtown site, and about 480 of them were in small group. Uh, no, well, 430 of them were in small group. Uh, so w- what we tend to say to people is if you're here in your first two years, you should be in small group. Right around your third year, you should be leading a small group. Right around your fourth year, we will pull you out of small group leadership and give you a year of more intensive discipleship. So last year, we had 65 people on a Wednesday night with intensive discipleship, which was a a little more content heavy. They would get about a 40-minute theological or faith work training or how to share your faith it was broken up, uh, theological, uh, personal, devotional, and then also um, practical ministry training, kind of three three different approaches. So, um, you know, you get about 40 minutes, and then you get about 15, 15 minutes of Q&A, that's an hour, and then you have about 40 minutes of how to apply it in small groups with uh, discussion leaders, and then you have about 20 minutes of prayer, and they're broken up into small cohorts of about five people, four for people all the same gender or sex and then and then a leader and so that would be on top of the 400 in discipleship you're, you're now moving in um, small groups you're now moving into a discipleship on top of that we had uh, what we call gotham which we got out of redeemer and it was a hardcore you have to do three to four hours of homework a week we're going to go two and a half hours uh come with all your stuff ready it's very interactive a lot of teaching a lot of q a a lot of prayer and accountability and we just uh and that was faith and work only this is high level discipleship and theologizing for we're going to try and make you a daniel in your workplace and so that was our first year experimenting with it we found some things that were great about it and some things that were okay about it um some of the curriculum we will change uh, but a lot of curriculum was good from redeemer this year we're taking both our discipleship and our Gotham and smashing them together into a hybrid. And we're going to uh, take uh, kind of do a hybrid of them. We're going to make it bigger than Gotham was. So it's going to be about 25 people, but it's going to have that high intensity, much higher discipleship level. And we're going to kind of put a lot of faith work into a basic discipleship module and see if we can kind of do a discipleship on steroids. And we want to learn from that how we should do discipleship and faith and work discipleship going forward. This is our lab year. So that's kind of an example of some of the pivots we're doing as we're trying to figure it out. Some of those things, Dan, are you, uh, most of the people in that group, are they uh, students, professionals, single, married, parents? Uh, What's that look like demographically? The vast majority would be young professionals, emerge, uh, professionals emerging leaders or emerged leaders who've already shown leadership. They've already led ministries or they've already led small groups. Um, and uh, most of them have in their resume, they've probably been a campus leader in their campus ministry at some point as well. So 
they have in the last two or three years shown uh, spiritual and theological hunger, an aptitude and a desire to serve and lead, and a giftedness in uh, leading people. Some, in, some as introverts, some as extroverts. They're not all sort of, you know, people gathering extroverts. But it, we're, we're, we're so we're taking, you know, we're going to take twenty to twenty-four of those people. Uh, and we're going to kind of put them through a boot camp and then they're going to help us figure out how to architect discipleship in Gotham for the future. But for this year, we're putting it all together and we may, yeah, we just need to figure it out. So great. Dan, if I can just uh, sort of change course a little bit here, uh, we've talked about the difference between Vancouver and Toronto and, and cultural and, and even as exists in the church. Uh, how do you understand preaching uh, you personally on a Sunday morning? How would you understand that differently in a context like Vancouver uh, compared to a context like Toronto? Um, I, I mean, do you understand it differently at all? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. No, I think the the the, the real paradigm, when I was talking to John Tyson of uh, Trinity Grace New York. I don't know if he's uh, what his relationship with Trinity Grace New York is now, but when he had founded it, we had a long discussion about preaching. And I thought uh, his discussion was very fruitful in his analysis. And that is, you know, uh, you've, you, you've got to decide whether you're preaching to your church or preaching to the city. Um, and what he meant by that was he said, Tim Keller preaches to the city and he does it from his pulpit in the church, but it's very clear he's preaching to the city and he's asking his church to bring the city in. Um, he's a missionary to the city and he uses this church as his marketplace to meet with everybody. And I thought that was a pretty insightful analysis. He said, I'm not good at that. I preach to my church and tell them to go and, and be, be witnesses to the city. And so he said, those are the two models in New York that I looked at. And uh, I think you need to decide which one's right for you. And I, um, I decided to try and be a little more preaching to the city, like Tim Keller, and have my church be there. But if I was going to do that, that meant that the Monday to Friday discipleship and small groups really had to be amped up because I was not maximizing Sunday morning for their development teaching always. Right. And so, I, you know, you have to make your decisions and your choices and your priorities. So that's, that's the way we decided it. Uh, I'm telling a lot of my church planters that I train, these are the two models. If you're not as good at preaching to the city, if preaching missionally is, is not something you have a real passion for and really want to learn, then do what John Tyson did. Preach and mobilize your community and then create your Monday to Friday structures so they have significant missional emphasis. So that's um, that's how we did it. John Tyson did it the other way. I think those are the two questions I have. Preaching to Toronto, preaching to Vancouver would be different. I would just go, what is my city? What does it look like? What does it believe? How do I preach to it? And so I would ask the same kind of questions I asked for Toronto. I probably would just get different answers in Vancouver. But I was, if I was doing it in Vancouver, those are the two fundamental paradigms I would ask any planter or preacher to choose. And if he's going to choose to preach to the city, he's got to go all in. He still has to feed his flock and preach to the city. You can't, you can't not feed your flock the gospel. Uh, but you, you, so you've got to really, really work hard at feeding the flock and preaching to the city in a way that the skeptic um, comes and that your non-Christians feel, and your Christians feel comfortable inviting their friends to. It took me years to get good, good enough to where we now probably have, 
you know, eight or nine percent of a Sunday morning, maybe 10, maybe 12 are skeptics. Um, but I'm, I'm no Tim Keller. Tim probably had 25 to 30 percent. He's just so gifted at it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure I chose the right model, but I chose it and it has worked for us. Um, but I think th- those are the two paradigms I ask people to choose between. So, Dan, would you then say the people who are coming to Christ in uh, in and around Grace in Toronto, are they coming in primarily through relational pull to the gathered setting and overhearing the conversation and how the gospel takes root in the heart uh, through your preaching to the city model? Or are they coming to faith primarily in uh, relational units outside of a gathered setting in that way? Uh, or is it just a constant back and forth, uh, both end? So um, what I would generally say is that uh, the, the sequence that we have generally observed is uh, the skeptic finds some relational connection and they find something they are they either romantically interested in, that's a lot, or they admire, uh, for whatever reason, uh, this Christian, and they get into this relational connection. The Christian then tries to invite them to a safe third setting, kind of a not come to church, but come to, and, and this is where Grace Toronto, we've worked really hard at, come to a pub night, come to, uh, we're doing a swing dance thing over here. We're all going to watch this film. We're going to the art show. We're, so what we try and do is almost monthly have some third party event that they can invite their friend to so they can meet other Christians. Then the idea is invite them to a Sunday service then they go, wait a minute, this church actually lets you ask questions. This church allows you to be a skeptic. Okay. Then they often get invited to small group because um, of the 34 small groups we had, we probably had skeptics in 27 or 28 of them. Mm. In other words, once they've gone through that, that two or threefold process, they're like, this community can handle me with my skepticism. Uh, I don't mind hanging out with these people. Uh, I trust my friend. He's in this small group. I've met these people at a couple of events. I've been to a couple of services. Okay, I'll start dropping into small group. And so on average, uh, the, the majority of our skeptics, I'd say 60% or more of our skeptics are in our small groups before they come to faith. Okay. So our conversions are they belonged and heard and kind of mixed the two. Yeah. They've come in relationally. They've connected with the ideas that are being taught. They've come and, you know, I, I use the language around here of come and see and go and tell. And so they're they're part of the come and see group. Friends who have invited them into the community through friendship in some way. They've now come to see what it is that you all are doing in your weird Christian world. And then yeah. because of that and the relational connection, then the third phase typically, I'm mean, obviously everybody's different in this, but you know, they may get plugged into a, a community group, small group of some kind, and, and it's at that place over a period of months or whatever that they go, you know what, I believe this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, except for us, it's a period of years. The average skeptics uh, in our community for uh, at least two years before they they convert. Um, like I said, they're pretty hardened here. Yeah. Um, we found it was a little quicker in Vancouver compared to here. Yeah, I think that's probably right in terms of the people that we've seen come to Christ in, in and through that idea. Uh, yeah, it would, it would probably be a little bit sooner. I also don't know if there's any... 
it, it's really difficult here because if you have the people who are going to to engage with the ideas, um, because Vancouver is so kind and open in in this way to every different belief in the whole world, uh, it's it's kind of like you can be in the it can be in the environment where you don't get pushed to make a decision, where where you just sort of live in this syncretistic tension. And that's a lot more accessible here. And and so when we talk about the exclusivity of Christ, there's people in our church who get surprised by that. And, yeah. and, and maybe they're newer and they go, hang on a second, there's just a lot of generosity, it feels like, and a lot of grace toward all people. And we're going, yeah, 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 but he's the way, the truth, and the life, and none come to the Father but by him. I think so. And I, I felt that in Vancouver, that people responded to the beautiful community easily and comfortably and hung out as if they were Christian without ever really confronting the claims. Whereas in ours, they, they, they are repelled by the claims and they've got to see the community and its beauty several times before they're willing to even enter the community. And then they're like, wait a minute, how can that level of repellent, abhorrent right. uh, teaching coexist with these great people? And it's the disconnect that drives them to go, wait a minute, Maybe I should doubt my doubts. Okay. Dan, I know we don't want to take up too much of your time, but if we can, uh, one of our, our ending questions here, and I don't know about the theology around this, so be gracious to me, but but if you were to say, like, who's closer to, to, to following Jesus? Is it the hardened skeptic of Toronto who's working 60 hours a week? Or is it the person who's, you know, maybe in the 40-hour leisure? You know, we're talking caricatures here, of course. Um, like, like in your mind, like, like who is closer, uh, like, like, to following Jesus uh, in terms of like, just speaking, like, like generally? Well, because I'm Reformed, I would say neither until God regenerates them. Right. Uh, the, the, um, what, what I would say the difference between Toronto and Vancouver was is the average Christian who wants to be somewhat public and not get clobbered can be somewhat public and get encouraged in being public in their faith um, because people are going to go, oh, that's great for you, etc. And so... They, they get farther in being a public witness before they get clobbered. They get clobbered when they say, okay, now you've got to come over. And then it's like, what? That's a bait and switch. You know, what do you mean? And then, then, and then the average Vancouverite bears their teeth. But what I found was it was much easier to get a core group of people publicly talking about their faith and, and witnessing and sharing their testimony. And they got much better reception. So they got the first base a lot easier or seemingly than the Torontonian does. I, I, time after time, I'm talking to people who were disciples, and they go, okay, I tried to tell people about Christianity, and my, my team laughed at me, and I just found out that I'm not in the pool for promotion for the next promotion, yeah. and it's probably because of that. Mm-hmm. You screwed me, and I'm like, ow. So <laughs> and it's that's a lot different. Uh, so in discipling people to be public about their faith, I found uh, Vancouver people got much more encouraging results. Uh, from the general culture's kindness. Uh, but it, like you say, it's there's a trap at the end. It can fool you into thinking their hearts are softer, whereas right. I don't think they particularly are. They, they will hang out more and appear to be Christian more, I think, in Vancouver. Whereas in Toronto, they, you know, they slink into our meetings without letting anyone at their work know about it. They have to have four beers before they ask you a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. But when they come... You know, when they come, they don't do what your guys do. Like, wait, what? What? Yeah. What? What do you mean? You see, only they, 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 they've kind of dealt with that one already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just a different process. 
And I, I would say I've been in Let's, Vancouver for eight years now. I think there are even some changes yeah. uh, in the hostility over the years that I've been in Vancouver. And it's it's seeming to be on a bit of an uptick uh, toward the hostility. Yeah. And I think some of that's probably our own errors. And some of that's just the cultural assumptions of a generation that are now working. have They've never been around it. And, uh, and it's only ever, you know, say the last five or six years, it's only ever been a negative uh, portrayal and so for them they're not Correct. they're not as open they're still open to every other spirituality but something that makes definitive claims uh, becomes more difficult to deal with but Dan we're so yeah. thankful that you uh, are, are doing this work in Toronto we've got much to learn from you and uh, we're really thankful for you and thankful for your friendship and uh, for you taking time on this podcast well thank you it's been a delight have a wonderful day guys and uh, Godspeed okay thanks Dan thanks Dan here Be Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver. You can find us online at herebedragonspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dragon Podcast. <laughs>